How many of you have heard the old saying, you can attract more flies with honey than with vinegar? How many of you have ever wondered, who wants to attract flies? <laughs> well, of course, um, you know the point of that phrase is that our words and our spirit and our attitude can either attract people or it can repel people. And, you know, we are living in some very crazy times, and uh, we are frustrated. We find it difficult, just like the rest of the world finds it difficult. We're challenged. We are having to make sacrifices and do things differently and make some changes, and all of this aggravates us. And we tend to express that verbally or in written form. And a lot of times it comes across as griping and complaining and criticizing and arguing and so forth. And I just can't help but wonder, is that one of the reasons that we aren't attracting people to Christ more than we are? is that the world is hearing from us the same things they're hearing from each other when we should be using the honey of our praise to draw people to Christ. Our words are very powerful. The Bible says the power of life and death is in the tongue. Man, that's a... That's a hard to grasp concept that my words can give life or can give death. Where do our words come from? Do you know? Our heart. That's what Jesus said. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Somebody took that and said it like this that I've used for many years. From the well of the heart, the bucket of the mouth speaks. Some of you, probably most of you, are not old enough to remember when you got water from a well. I won't ask for a show of hands if you remember that. But back in the day, that's how you got water. And whatever you dropped a bucket down in a well. And whatever was in the well, you drew back up in the bucket. Now, if dead chicken was in the well, if a chicken had fallen in the well and drowned, you dropped a bucket, guess what you were getting in the bucket? A dead chicken. If there were frogs down in the well, and believe me, I've seen frogs in a well. And um, this was in Mexico. And if you dropped a bucket in that well and you pulled it up, what you're going to get in the bucket? Frogs. But if there's fresh, clean water down in that well and you drop the bucket down and you reel it up, what are you going to get in that bucket? Fresh water. You see, you can't help it. Whatever's in your heart, is coming out. So what we need, as Brian just saying, is we need a surgeon for our heart, don't we? For everything is from the heart. That's why we need a heart change, so we can praise the Lord with our whole heart. You know, praise doesn't come from the mouth. Where does praise come from? The heart. It is expressed in the mouth, but praise comes from the heart. Praise is expressed 
not just from the mouth, but even our actions and our attitude. So today we're going to continue the seventh in this series with all my heart. We started this series a year ago this month. We started talking about loving the Lord with all of our heart. We spent quite a few weeks on that. Then we talked about seeking the Lord with all of our heart. Then serving the Lord with all of our heart. Then obeying the Lord with all of our heart. Then trusting the Lord with all of our heart. Most recently, return to the Lord with all of our heart. And now, as we started last Sunday, let's praise the Lord with all of our heart. Praise comes from a heart. And a heart cannot praise when a heart is griping. You know the two can't dwell together? It can't gripe and praise at the same time. You can't complain and praise at the same time. Have you ever tried it? We try, don't we? And that's why God said in James chapter 3, He said, Out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. It can from the same well, from the same spring, bring forth fresh water and bitter? No, it can't. That's why it's a matter of the heart. Praising the Lord with all of our heart. Praise is the act of expressing approval or admiration or commendation. Now, all of us like to be praised, don't we? Now, you can say you don't, but you're lying. You can say you're so humble that you don't like praise, but you're a liar. Because everybody likes to be praised. Everybody likes a pat on the back, an attaboy, an girl. Good job. Thank you. I love you. you do, you're, you're doing great. It's good to see you. Everybody likes that. You know why we like that? You know why we enjoy that? I believe it's because it's part of God's nature within us. The Bible says we are created in the image of God. And God enjoys praise. And he made us to enjoy praise. Now, we're not to enjoy praise too much. In other words, we're not to get so proud that we think we deserve it. And that we think we can be like God. For who tried that? The devil. Lucifer lost his position because he wanted more worship than even God. And so we have to be careful with that. We need to remember, first of all, the who of praise. Now, if you're examining a topic and you want to know all about it, then you ask some questions about it, don't you? The who, what, when, where, why, and how. Well, we may not look at all of that related to praise, but we are this morning going to look at the who. First of all, who is the object of our praise? If you have your Bibles or if you just want to follow along on the screen, our text that we started this series, Praise the Lord with all of our heart, in is Psalm chapter 9. And he says in verse 1, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. By the way, that's repeated uh, three more times in the book of Psalms. 86.12, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Psalm 111, verse 1, I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. Psalm 138.1, I will praise you with my whole heart. So who would you say is the object of our praise? Now, do you remember in English class? Some of you are still there. Some of you will have to think way far back like I do. Do you remember diagramming sentences? How many of you remember diagramming sentences? I actually enjoyed diagramming sentences. That was one of the things I enjoyed doing in English. Well, so you start with the subject. Who is the subject of Psalm 9-1? I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Who's the subject? I. What are the, what's the verb or the verbs? Will what? Praise. And who is the object, direct object? The Lord. I will praise the Lord. 
So we, we just diagrammed a sentence. So kids, y'all did some school this week and let your teachers know you did something while you were off summer vacation. You diagrammed a sentence right out of the Bible. I will praise the Lord. Who's the object? God. Why is God the object of our praise? Because no one else should receive what only God, what only belongs to the one true God. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 8 says this. I am the Lord. That is my name. By the way, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is Yahweh. I am Yahweh. That's my name. And my glory I will not give to another. God will not share his praise and his glory with anybody else. Not the devil, not you, not me. Only to God belongs the praise and the glory. Why, does, why is God the object of our praise? Because only God, and by the way, when I say God, I'm talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We have a triune God. A God who is, exists in three persons. Not three gods, but one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. We see him in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. Let us make man in our image. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I can't explain the Trinity. I just accept it and believe it. It's not something that a mind, a human frail mind can comprehend, but it's something a heart of faith can accept and believe. So when I say only God, I'm talking about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but only God is worthy of our praise. Sometimes you find the same thing, uh, the same phrase in one passage of Scripture that you find in another. Such is the case in Psalms. You see a lot of things repeated in Psalms. And a lot of things you read in Psalms, or some of the things you read in Psalms, are actually repeated previously in other Old Testament books. And maybe even again quoted in the New Testament. In Psalm, in, uh, Psalm chapter 18, verse 3, is a direct quote of King David. And if you read the prologue of Psalm 18, it is the same thing of 2 Samuel 22 and verse 1. So if you looked at Psalm 18 verse 3, or the prologue of Psalm 18, which is actually not a verse, it's just an introduction to the chapter, you'll hear what is the exact quote of 2 Samuel 22, 1. Then David spoke to the Lord the words of this song. By the way, who did David speak to in this song? Let's diagram another sentence. <laughs> who did he speak to? 2 Samuel 22, 4. Then David spoke to the Lord the words of this song. Who was he speaking to in that song? It's not a trick question, y'all. Thank you. Gosh, that was so hard to get that out of y'all. <laughs> the Lord. Is it up there? Oh, it wasn't on the screen. <laughs> Y'all are too dependent on that thing. The Lord. When you sing, who are you singing to? Singing to Brian? Are you singing to somebody sitting next to you? Some of you won't sing because somebody's sitting too close to you. That's wrong too. Because you're not singing to that person. By the way, did you know that every voice is beautiful to the ears of God when you're singing his praise? We may not like it, but he does. <laughs> Joking, okay. Every voice is beautiful 
in the ears of God. Are you singing? When you sing, are you singing to God? David said, I spoke the words of this song to the Lord. On the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And then Psalm 18.3 is quoted in, is a quotation of 2 Samuel 22.4. I will call upon the Lord who is what? Worthy to be praised. Only God is worthy of our praise. Only God is worthy of singing to. Now some of you guys, you were romantic when you were young. You probably lost a little bit of that since you've grown older. But you were a romantic. Maybe you sang to your wife or your girlfriend. Maybe you wrote a song and, and sang to her because you wanted to exalt the qualities of your love and of your, your bride-to-be or your girlfriend. And that's, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But uh, true, true praise and true worship belongs only to God. Revelation chapter 4, we see this taking place in the halls of heaven. We have the 24 elders mentioned in verse 10, which I believe are representative of all the, the saints throughout all the ages, all the believers, because of the 12 uh, patriarchs in the Old Testament and the 12 apostles in the New Testament, representing uh, symbolically in, in Revelation all believers. They're falling down before him who sits on the throne. Again, elementary, my dear Watson, who is him who sits on the throne? Who is it? It's God. It says they worship him who lives forever and ever and they cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord. Same, same thing in chapter 5, verse 9. They sing a new song saying, you are worthy. Only God is worthy of our praise. Praise is an act of worship and only God deserves our worship. And we're to worship him only. Remember the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20? He said, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven images. You shall not bow down to them. You shall not worship them. You shall not serve them. I know it feels like we're going back to first grade this morning. Okay, that's fine. We're in first grade all over again. We've diagrammed sentences. By the way, I don't know what grade starts that, but it's much later. But we're in first grade. I know you're saying, Lee, we know all these things. It's all right. It's good to rehearse them, isn't it? Because we forget them. That's why Peter said, I want to stir you up by way of remembrance. And I want to show, some, show you something in Revelation 19 and Revelation 22. How quickly we can forget who worship belongs to. Do you have a favorite disciple? My wife does. And it's not Lee. Who's your favorite disciple, dear? John. John. She loves John. You know why she loves John? Because Tana's all about love. Her name, her maiden name, she had to give up to be a waller, was literally, this is true, her maiden name is full of love. She gave that up to be waller. That's love. Okay, that's love. You know why John's her favorite disciple? Because it says of scripture, in Scripture, John called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And John's there leaning on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. John's there at the, at the foot of the cross when all the other disciples had forsaken him. And John just exhibits love. And that's what Tana's all about. So John's her favorite disciple. You would think John wouldn't forget what worship's all about. But even John forgot. And you and I can forget. Look at Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10. 
John's the one who the revelation of Jesus Christ, this book was revealed to. He was to write it down. And sometimes angels spoke to him and sometimes it was God himself. But this time it was an angel. And verse 10 says, John said, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I am your fellow servant and I'm your brother who has the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. John forgot for a moment. I mean, imagine this heavenly being shows up and he's much different than you are and he's glorious and powerful and strong and, and beautiful and his first instinct is to fall down and worship him. And so he does. And he gets rebuked. And you would think John would have learned, don't do that again. But John forgot. Just a little while later, chapter 22, verse 8 and 9. Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then the angel said, Don't do that, for I am your fellow servant and your brother. Worship God. Now if John, one of the favored disciples, if you will, can forget that worship is only for God, could not you and I forget that? Could not you and I inadvertently or maybe even uh, uh, intentionally give our praise and our worship to something less than God? It happens all the time. That's why we need to praise the Lord with all of our heart. We need to have some heart surgery and have it opened up to reveal to us what is it that we're giving our allegiance and our praise to other than God. Because praise is not just about singing a song. It's about living a life. But only God is worthy of our praise. Why is God the object of our praise? Because only God is God and there is no other. Listen, there are a lot of would-be gods. There have been a lot of would-be gods. There are a lot of people believe that Buddha is God. A lot of people believe Confucius was God. A lot of people believe Muhammad is God. A lot of people believe Moroni was God and, and all of these other would-be gods. But only God. Yahweh. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who sent his son Jesus Christ, only God is God. There is no other. No other deserves our praise. Psalm 83, 18 says that they may know that you whose, whose name alone is Yahweh are the most high over all the earth. He, God has no competitors. He has no competitors. A competitor means you're, there's an equal or a near equal that can give you a run for your money. God has none. He has no competitors. There's no near equal or, any, or equal uh, that can compete or stand with God. Only God. Psalm 86.10 says, For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Psalm 148, verse 13. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. Isaiah 37, verse 16. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, You are God, You alone. Why is God the object of our worship? Because only God is God. Nobody else is God. Don't catch, don't let, don't catch yourself worshiping anything less than God. Why is God the object of our worship? Because only God is the creator of all things. You know, we live in an age where 
uh, we live in such a pluralistic society, such a, um, a society where toleration, we need to be tolerant of other people's beliefs. And I am tolerant of other people's beliefs. I believe you have the right to believe wrongly if you want to. Just like I have the right to believe rightly. And there are things that I believe sometimes or, or think sometimes that are not right. But I know when, when I believe this book, it's always right. But we live in an age of tolerance and we sometimes find ourselves as Christians trying to fit in a little bit better with the world. For example, evolution. We want to help the world swallow us a little bit better or accept us a little bit better. So we say things like, well, it wasn't, uh, even if it was evolution, then God's the one that started the process in the first place. I mean, there are Christians who, who actually think that. But I want you to listen to the scriptures. Nehemiah 9, 6. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them. You preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. Listen to Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 24. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself. Who helped God create the world? <laughs> Nobody. Nobody. God didn't need help. Well, how did he create it then? Revelation 4.11, they sang, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. How does the Bible tell us God created everything that is? Did the, does the Bible say he created this pond and allowed some slimy ooze to form? And that slimy ooze began to develop and to grow and finally eventually uh, sprouted a couple of limbs and crawled out on the land and eventually, eventually grew a little bit taller and longer legs and was able to stand upright and became an ape and then even stood up more right and got smarter and, and became a man. Is that what the Bible says or does the Bible say, and God said? Or, did, or is it that, that there was some big boom that some of these elements out in the universe and uh, all that, that collided together and there was this big boom and all of a sudden all these things just, just fell into place and began to evolve. Is that what the Bible says? And the sun came to be because of this big boom and then the moon was formed and all the stars and, you know, result of that. Or, is, or does God say, does the Bible say, and God said, let there be light. And God spoke the sun, and there was sun. God spoke the moon, and there was a moon. God spoke stars, and there were stars. God spoke man, and there was a man. Instantly, a man. And God spoke a woman, and there was a woman. And all the animals, God spoke them into existence. Only God is the object of our praise because only God created all things. All things have been created by God at His command for His will, for His glory, for His pleasure. And any other explanation is hogwash. It's baloney. It's foolishness. And the only reason they want to 
create evolution or say evolution is a thing and the Big Bang is a thing is because they reject God. And the Bible says in Psalm 14:1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It takes, let me keep going. Our God is the object of our worship because only God is holy. When I say holy, there's a sense in, in that we are holy. In other words, separated from the world unto God. So when I say only God is holy, I mean completely separate from mankind. We are separated from the world and belong to God, thus we are holy. We have been made holy. We don't act holy always. And we're not holy inherently of ourselves. But only God is inherently holy. Only God is completely separate from man. Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad, Moroni, all those would-be gods, what do they have in common? The one thing they have in common is that they are all human beings. And they're all were born, and they all died, and they're dead today. And they didn't originate in eternity somewhere. They originated in the womb of a woman. God exists in eternity, eternity past. He had no beginning, the Bible says, and he has no end. Completely separate from man. Only God is holy. Completely separate. Non-dependent upon me or what I believe about him. People say, I don't believe in God. doesn't matter. doesn't make him not exist. God is holy. He, can, he exists completely apart. You know, there's a time in eternity past when there were no angels. Well, you know, a time there was an eternity past when there were no uh, stars and no sun and no moon and no humans. God existed for eons. Eternity past, just God. Self-sufficient. Only God is like that. But that God loved you so much that he stepped out of eternity into time for 33 years. He laid down his life and shed his blood to pay the penalty for your sin and mine so that I could live with him forever. Supersede time. Not become a God, but become alive unto God. Only God is holy. That's what Revelation 15, 4 says. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. Why is God the object of our worship? Because only God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present. Now, maybe you've heard three words associated with those definitions. Omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. You may hear those words again, but basically, omnipotent just means all-powerful. Omni, all-potent power. God's all-powerful. Omniscient. All-knowing, omnipresent, ever-present, everywhere at once, all the time. He can be here, and he's with those who are watching on Facebook and YouTube. And he's with those in India, and Australia, and Africa, and Russia, every church, every group of people. He's with those people who are home that can't get out. They're in the nursing homes, shut in. God's with them. Listen, only God is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. The devil's not. It's amazing how many Christians ascribe to the devil what only belongs to God. Don't give the devil more power than the Bible gives him. Only God knows all things. Only God can be everywhere at once. Only God can do anything. Nothing is impossible with him. That's why he's the object of our praise. How great 
is our God. How great is our God. Now, there's another aspect of who. Who is the object of our praise? Who is it? God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, who should praise God? Psalm 148 answers that question. Open your Bibles there, or you can look on the screen. Psalm 148. The first phrase, the first verse is, what does it say? Praise the Lord. There's one word that is almost universal in every language. It's hallelujah. And it means praise the Lord. Anytime you see the phrase praise the Lord, it's the word hallelujah. Hallel, praise, Yah, Yahweh, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Now who should be praising the Lord? Well, verse 2 says... All his angels, all his hosts, all the heavenly hosts. That's what we see in Revelation 4 and 5. The heavenly hosts are praising God and bowing down and worshiping him, casting their crowns before him. Look at verse 3 through 6. Praise him, sun and moon. Every time the sun comes up, every time it sets, every time it's, it's, it's at its zenith at noon, and everywhere in between, praising the Lord. Moon, all the stars of light. I am told and I've heard and you've probably heard that the, when you stand out at night and you look at the stars and you see that light, that you're seeing light that's shown thousands, perhaps millions of years ago. I, I don't believe in the millions of years theory, but I can believe thousands of years ago that the stars, that this, it, the universe is so vast that it takes that long for the light to get here for us to see it. That just, to, to me, that makes God big. Because the Bible says he holds it all in his hand. It says, praise him, you heaven of heaven, heavens of heavens, all the celestial beings, even the waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He also established. By the way, how were they created? Verse 5, he commanded. He also established them forever and ever. And he made a decree which shall not pass away. So who should praise the Lord? The celestial heavens. They're praising the Lord right now. Step outside and feel the praise of God in that high humidity and high heat. That's pr praise the Lord. It's hot. That sun is really praising God today. Who else should praise the Lord? Verse 7. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all the depths. All those whales and dolphins and, and sharks. And, and by the way, the, have you ever noticed in those nature shows, the deeper you go in the ocean, the weirder they get, the creatures get? I mean, the deeper you go, the weirder it gets. Kind of like us. You get to know us, the deeper you get to know me, the weirder I may get. By the way, you're weird too. You're just a different weird than I am. But... Those little fish that have things sticking up on their head with a light bulb on the end and it blinks. I'm not making this up. That's down in the deep part of the ocean. Praising the Lord. Who else should praise the Lord? Verse 8. Fire and hail. Snow and clouds. Stormy wind fulfilling His word. The elements of the weather. Praise the Lord. Hurricanes. Praise the Lord. But you never thought about that, did you? No, 
cursed we are. Praise the Lord. Those stormy winds. Fire. Snow. Hail. All God's creation praising the Lord. Look at verse 9. Mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars. In other words, the variety of landscapes and everything that, that makes up the landscape praising the Lord. Hannah and I have just bought a couple of crepe myrtle trees, our first endeavor with crepe myrtles. You know how when you buy a vehicle, you see that vehicle everywhere you go? Well, now we bought some crepe myrtles, and now that's all we see. Everybody's got a crepe myrtle. That must be the South Georgia tree and bush. But um, those crepe myrtles are so beautiful. Praise the Lord, those blooms they put on. Praise the Lord. Verse 10, who else should praise the Lord? Beasts and all cattle. Creeping things and flying fowl. Creeping spiders. Praise the Lord. Oh, I've got windowsill. How they get there, I don't know. Praise the Lord. Flying fowl. Beasts, all cattle. Who else should praise? In other words, all the animals praise the Lord. Verse 11, who should praise the Lord? Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth. Who should praise the Lord? All our rulers. Anybody in a position of authority should be praising the Lord. And then verse 12 sums it up. Both young men and maidens, old men and children. So all you single men, all you single women, young men and maidens, should be praising the Lord. All you old men, you notice it doesn't say old women. David was smart. <laughs> all you old men, and I'm going to include all you old women. I ain't as smart as David, okay? Praise the Lord. And all you children, anybody here not a child? We're all children, aren't we? Of somebody. In other words, all mankind. As Psalm 67, 3 and 5 say, Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So who should be praising the Lord? All creation. Everything God created. Who created it? God did. All of it should be praising Him. But more specifically, who should be praising the Lord? God's people. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 21. God says, This people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. Psalm 22, 23 says, You who fear the Lord, praise Him. Psalm 30, verse 4, Sing praises to the Lord, you saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holy name. Psalm 79, 13, So we, your people, and the sheep of your pasture, will give you thanks forever. We will show forth your praise to all generations. There should be no shortage of God's people praising His name, and not just on Sunday morning. But I don't find that. I find a lot of God's people griping and complaining and arguing and fussing and, and being frustrated and angry. And, and God wants us to turn that into praise. You know, if you're griping and complaining and arguing and fussing and arguing, all that, where's, what, what does that say about your heart? See, it's a heart issue. You need surgery. Get all that gunk out of there. And ask God to fill it with praise. There should be no shortage of God's people praising the Lord every day. Proclaiming His praise every day. You see, we're not trying to attract flies. But there's a lot of people in this world who are feeding on the decay of this culture. And what I find is Christians are feeding at the same decay.
And it's time for us as God's people to get off the decay and start using the honey of praise. And people be drawn to God because they see God's people are different. They talk different. They act different. They look different. They smile. They speak good words, life-filled words. That's how we're going to make a difference in our culture. The power of life and death is in the tongue, and our tongues should be filled with praise unto God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. How many of you have tasted the grace of God? You've tasted God's grace. He says, come to him as to a living stone. Yes, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious. Is, is God precious to you? Is Christ precious to you? Look what he says in verse 5. You as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Are your words acceptable to God through Jesus Christ? It's a sacrifice. Remember, we looked at it last week in Hebrews. Praise is the fruit of the sacrifice of praise is the fruit of our lips. Look at verse 7. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. Are we praising God like he's precious? You know, I have five children and four grandchildren and, and a precious wife. And all of them are precious to me. And I love to scoop those little ones in my lap and just tell them how precious they are. How beautiful, how sweet, how good that sugar tastes dripping off their cheeks. Should I not do the same with my God? Just embrace Him and praise Him, bless Him. And should I not do that in public when people are acting ugly? Can I not say something? Well, when somebody says something griping, man, it sure is hot out here. I do that too. So well, praise God. The sun's praising the Lord in, his bright, in its brightness and its heat. I hate all this rain. That's what I did a couple of weeks ago. Man, it's tired of all this rain, God. But I really did make a concerted effort. I really did. I really did make a concerted effort. I'm not going to complain about all this rain, even though I don't like it. I'm trying not to complain about the rain. But praise you, Lord. Can I, can I turn some gripes into praises? Even when... When I'm in public, even when I'm with other people, can I turn my gripes into praises? Why? Because God's worth it. Look at verse 9. You are a chosen generation. Wow, I'm chosen. You're chosen. You're a royal priesthood. That's what we are. We're a holy nation. We are His own special people. Am I acting like it? Am I talking like it? I'm his own special people so that I may proclaim the praises of him who did what? First song we sang. Called us out of darkness into his marvelous, glorious light. I told the first service, the Holy Spirit is always at work 
in this church. But when things like this happen, it's, it's the Holy. Brian and I didn't have this discussion about what I was preaching today, about how great our God is. But that was the song God put on Brian's heart. Brian and I didn't have this conversation about 1 Peter 2, 9, but that first song we sang, God put on Brian's heart to sing. Because he knew we needed to be praising him because he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So who should be praising God? All creation and certainly God's people for all he's done for us and made us his own people. We need to start talking like it, acting like it. Who should praise the Lord? Back to the very first verse we started this series and sermon with today, Psalm 9-1. Look at Psalm 9-1. What are the first two words in that verse? Say it with me. Who should praise the Lord? Say those two words. Who should praise the Lord? Who should praise the Lord? I will. That's our invitation. That's our response right there. I will, Lord. I won't let the rocks cry out. I want to use your praise as the honey that draws the unbeliever to you. I want to turn my tongue into an instrument of praise. I used to play the guitar. I can't play the drums. I can't play a trumpet. I love the trumpet, but I can't play it. I can't. I took piano for three months. You and I can't play the piano. I don't have an instrument really to use, but I do. I have my tongue, and you have a tongue. And it's not just to use on Sunday morning. It's to use every day, every word, in every situation. Are you going to do it perfectly? No. But when you mess up, it, own up to it. Admit it. If you mess up in public, if you mess up in a group of people, you need to own up to it and say, hey, guys, I'm sorry. That, that shouldn't have come out of my mouth. Will you forgive me? I shouldn't be griping. I should be praising. God's worthy of my praise. You have an instrument. It takes years to learn to play the piano like June does. It's going to take a lifetime to learn how to use this instrument right here. That's the hardest instrument to learn to, to use right. That's what James 3 says. But ask God, would you this morning? Lord, I'm giving you my tongue. Turn it into an instrument of praise. I will praise the Lord with all my heart. Would you bow with me? June's going to play. You take that time while she's playing to dedicate yourself, your mouth, your tongue, as an instrument of God's praise.